Hello, I'm Heather Pearson and you're listening to the Granted Oats second podcast. Today I'm in conversation with Sarah Sheridan. Sarah is a novelist, a campaigner, a feminist, the founder of Reek Perfume, which is being hailed as the first feminist fragrance. Sarah is also one of the Saltire Society's most influential women, and she's a patron of the charity It's Good to Give, which supports critically ill children and their families. Sarah is, I think, the busiest, most resource-generous person I know. She's also a consistently brilliant cheerleader for everything women are doing to make the world a better place. So it's my absolute pleasure and privilege to be able to talk to her and share with you this conversation about the Grantidote, modern politics, intergenerational trauma, identity issues and pretty much everything but the kitchen sink. Welcome to Podcast 2. Sarah, welcome to the Grand Dirt. Thank you. We're here in your beautiful kitchen. Sunny day. Thank you so much <laughs> for having us. It's lovely to have you. And you've shared quite a lot with me in preparation for this podcast. So I feel like I know Kitty and Eva oh, a little yeah. bit already. I'm fairly in awe of them <laughs> and you. Um, can you tell me, first of all, why being involved in the Grand Dirt appealed to you? Um, well, I suppose I'm a historical novelist, so I have a real sense of history. And one of the reasons I like writing about history is because the past um, forms our present so so mm-hmm. fully. And so I think looking and um, taking sort of little threads of those of that, what your grandparents gave you, mm. um, and also culturally where they came from as well, I think is really important. Yeah. And then looking at how you parent, for example, yeah, and um, what you can pass on, what you want to do for your children and, and having grandchildren, but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know how how you um, interact with future generations. So I think it's yeah. a really interesting project of, you know, where did we come from, mm-hmm. or what did we get from those people, yeah, and what did we learn, and where are we going? Yes, that's all part of the same kind of yeah. um, the same kind of issue. So I think it's a fascinating project. Yeah, well, thank you, and I found it really interesting through doing all this the amount of people who for, for the first time are thinking about a grandmother in isolation. Mm. So the, the, they're stripping away whatever romantic or, or marital relationships she had or didn't have. They're stripping away her children and they're looking at the individual mm. for the first time. And um, I, I find that fascinating in itself. It's not a first time for me, no. actually. Um, I I think uh, because particularly with Kitty we have her diaries her journal and so I've kind of had Kitty alone and because um, her husband died when I was extremely young and Kitty was the only one who was there Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I think I've I think that's not the case for me actually I think I've 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 looked at them I've looked at them separately but I can totally understand that I mean for many people around me uh, the grandparents are a double act totally um, and they, they, you know, they come as two for the price of one. Yeah, and quite <laughs> often the grandfather becomes is prominent in their mm. recollection. Do you know what I mean? So, or or he's he seems to be credited more. You know, mm. a lot of folk have come back and said that. Why did we think so much mm. of you know, like what he did was amazing, but why haven't we shone the same light on 
what she did and I thought God. all the people all the time go into the archives with yeah. the women like that yeah. is really really common it's something that yeah. we do in fact that's one of the problems in the archives mm-hmm. it's in finding female material and that very often families when they donate stuff to archives yeah. or museums and things yeah. they donate granddad's stuff and they stick yeah. grandma's stuff in the bin yes yes it's just not valued in yeah. the same way yeah absolutely I worked in a charity shop um for a year a couple of years back when I first came to Edinburgh and that was something we saw. Like, you know what I mean? Huge, um, when boxes were coming in of donations, a different, it wasn't that the, the woman's stuff was, was, was less than, it was just, there, there was like almost like a, a, a coveted thing about mm-hmm. male stuff. Do you know what I mean? Of course, you know, an assumption that of course it was of greater value. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting, handling people's lives in that that retrospective way mm-hmm. as well you know when you could see when when actually a, a value was being attached to something I mean a monetary value you know really interesting and um, when we first started talking about your grandmothers specifically on the grand to do hashtag on twitter you sent me a stunning or sent <laughs> everyone a stunning stunning um photograph of kitty your dad's mum yes kitty goodwin yeah, but she was born Mitten. She was a Mitten. Kitty um, Mitten. Of Irish descent. So, um, And she was one of lots of children, I think about 11 or 12 kids. Can we just go back to Kitty Mitten. Mitten. I know, Catherine Mitten. I'm in love. Um, I'm it's in great, love. isn't it? I can't believe she gave it up. <laughs> Kitty Mitten. Yeah. So great. It's become like... it's. And she to... looks a little bit like it. Yes. She's very glamorous. And even as an old lady, yes. she still dyed her hair that very dark colour. And she wore red lipstick. And yeah. She had that real kind of glamour about she her. She makes me want to go back to my childhood and name a doll or a teddy or a pet <laughs> Kitty Mitten. Kitty because mitten. it's such a reassuring thing to say. It's got a rhythm yeah. to it. Kitty Mitten is beautiful. Um, but one thing, well, lots of things about this photo. <laughs> so this is like... This is such a gem. I knew when you sent this photo that it was really, really, really important because I couldn't get my head around it quickly. And I was driving, a couple hours after you sent it, I was driving along the bypass and I was thinking and thinking and thinking, I need to reply mm-hmm. to Sarah's <laughs> But I always want to reply honestly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Because what struck me about the photo was I saw this incredible looking woman and all the rest of it but of course I'm not going to just be judging her on how she looks what struck me was there was a tension in Mm. her expression and I knew that it related to the man she was sitting next Mm. to your grandfather yeah so well I felt that I did and I thought but hold on I can't project all this stuff onto Sarah (laughs) What, what if they had the best marriage in the world but I just had this sense there's something that right here this looked to me like a woman who did not necessarily wasn't that delighted to be photographed there i don't think he looks delighted to be photographed in no. either but i mean your instincts were good heather is it, it really wasn't a happy marriage and yeah. um, they stuck together she which you can't really tell from this photograph she's mm. much younger than he mm. is mm-hmm. he met her when she was 15 my god and she became pregnant very quickly with my father and then after he was born, um, they got married. So my father yes. only discovered this after she had died and he got the papers and he was like, oh, I was illegitimate. There was no wow. sense of this. And of course, they went on to have another three kids together. But um, I think you can see a little bit in his stare. He's got quite a, you know, you wouldn't want to mess with him. Nope. And actually, you didn't want to mess with him. He was yeah. a very violent 
bad-tempered, um, angry man wow. and um, quite a dangerous man, I think, in, in some ways. And he operated in London. He was actually from Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Um, but he his business initially in London was that he had a series of uh, licenses at mm-hmm. Portobello Road Market. Right. Not as it is today with the tourists and the loveliness yeah. and the high property prices, as a thieves' market. Wow. As this was where all the stuff that got stolen ended up. And he had a shop down there and actually also ran several stalls uh, on the market. And he was a gambler. Wow. And so they uh, made and lost money really frequently to the degree that the whole family would have to move into a single room somewhere awful. Yeah. And they would be there for six months and then he'd make some money back and they'd all move somewhere nice. And Kitty was so young. So young. How and old was he? She was 15. She, he was about 15 years older than her. Oh my God. Goodness. So um, he he basically groomed her. You know, wow. nowadays you'd look at that and think, 30-odd-year-old man yeah. um, sleeping with a 15-year-old girl. That's creepy for a start. Having yeah. a kid with her, marrying her, and then dominating yeah. her entire life. And actually the life of the children as well. Yeah. Um, although for several of those years he was away in the war. And my father talks about the war actually in a much happier tone than he does about the rest of his childhood. And I think that's because his his father was away. There was a holiday from tension and... The anger, you know, it was really quite violent. And in that sort of West End of London, um, sort of 19, early, late 40s, uh, early 1950s way, Mm -hmm. you know, you just know how tough it must have been and what was going on then. Um, So, yeah, you wouldn't wouldn't have wanted to mess with him or any of the people that he did, did business with. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, you're picking it up very well. And I don't know if the tension is that they just didn't want to be photographed. Yes. Because there was illegal stuff going on and they yeah. didn't want to be seen to be drinking champagne. They're sitting in this, what looks like a nightclub. Yeah. Uh, uh, with a champagne bottle and all the rest of it. Or whether they're actually in the middle of having a, a big An argument or, yeah. or a fight. It's very difficult. You know, there's no, yeah. way, no way for us to tell. It's but, amazing. Um, it does have a real kind of, atmosphere about it it is a story photograph Mm -hmm. you know you could you could write you could write a novel off of that (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely so they stayed married is that right yeah they did and I mean some of it was very tough my dad she left her family down in Brighton and her parents were very angry about marriage and obviously thought this was a bad thing and my dad says he can remember being really quite young and he and maybe maybe one maybe his sister Mm-hmm. Um, Susan um, or there might have been another child at that point as well mm-hmm. or you can't remember mm-hmm. if there was two or three of them but they were really down on their luck and they went down to Brighton to see if they could stay with um, Granny Mitten Yeah, and Granny Mitten wouldn't let him in the house Wow! and they ended up sleeping on the beach in Brighton before they went back wow. up to London so there's that sense as well where she wasn't I feel as if she was never supported outside yes. that marriage yes and that the marriage was everything to her she obviously to some degree lost her family yeah um over yeah. it and um and then was really very much alone and I have no yeah. sense of her having friends you know even as a child she didn't yeah. seem to have anyone she knew or anyone she you know it's a very mm. isolated they were in a real bubble yeah uh, those two so her life before him yeah they were really poor I mean mm. she was brought up in Brighton and in her journal she talks about being hungry a lot as a kid she talks about getting a job I mean she must have been pretty young cleaning doorsteps in Brighton so that she could get a penny or whatever wow. 
eighth penny or penny or GP or whatever it was. I mean, mm-hmm. this must be in the, I suppose, in the early, very early 40s, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and in her journal, she's very much talking about, you know, people, children today yeah. don't understand what it was like. Wow. Actually, by children today, she probably mm-hmm. means my mother and father mm-hmm. because, you know, mm-hmm. I was tiny, tiny yes. at that yeah. point and how how rough and tough it was and her father got fed before anyone else in the house so he was the working man he would come home there was a meal on the table and then whatever food was left was for the mother and the children and the children there were of course loads of children yes so i was gonna say does she have a lot of siblings yeah i think she did i Mm -hmm. think she had something like uh nine Mm -hmm. nine maybe about right do you know where she was in birth order like roughly was she middle oldest i don't really know actually that's Mm -hmm. that would be quite interesting to Mm -hmm. find out Mm -hmm. difficult to track down my sister-in-law is a genealogist and she's done various bits of work on bits of the family so actually i would ask her about yeah that's it and um no coincidence that you've gone on to write (laughs) <laughs> but about heaven, um, yeah well set in brighton in the 50s but, that, but that's really from dad yeah. you know that whole thing really came from dad and that sense of i mean the 50s is an era that really interests me because it was the era in which my parents met it's the mm-hmm. era you know so much of our modern culture and modern world comes from the 50s you've got mm-hmm. sort of the end of the empire but nobody's realized yet Yes. So this is the journey that we've been on for the last like pretty much seventy years. Empireitis, yeah. As I've started calling it, and um, (laughs) and also huge, um, a huge decade for women who had done this amazing job during World War Two and had flown planes and had run factories and done all kinds of stuff and then were shoved back in the kitchen with some little lipstick and told to get on with being domestic, and then sort of had to fight their way out of that. Um, and so, yeah, I feel it's like a real seminal yes. um, uh, decade for my generation mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. I write it, I do think, you know, as I'm writing scenes, like, oh, Granny could have been there. Or yeah. do you know what I mean? You have that real sense of I have a real connection to Brighton and London yeah. at that time. Yes. Um, and when I'm writing, I do kind of have them in my mind, even though mm-hmm. I'm not really directly writing about them. Although occasionally there's wee bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, in Brighton Bell, there's a, a scam over some uh, gold sovereign. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the kind of thing that Grandpa Goodwin would definitely have been involved in. You know what I mean, <laughs> there's no way if that was going on, he'd have been there. So um, I'm just, so yeah. I'm thinking about her as a 15 year old, mm. and, I'm th- and I'm thinking, I think I was 15 when I thought oh, first love. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's what it was for her. And she probably bought the dream of this. I mean, he was sophisticated. He'd yeah. been in the services. He had a business. He was probably quite well dressed. And he arrives down in Brighton and gives her attention. You know, that has to be pretty heady for her. And then she finds herself pregnant and he's prepared to marry her. She's probably grateful. Yes, definitely. That he is prepared to marry her. Definitely. Um, And so she sort of embarks on this thing and and never gives gives it up. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I I was going to say, my aunt and I were talking at the weekend about a branch in our family where there um, was a grinding poverty as mm. you put it so well and many 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 siblings and um and talking about when when the eldest of those siblings which happened to be a series of girls I think there were two boys and eight or nine girls and and the first four girls flew the nest very 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 quickly mm. to manage and it was we surmised it was it was definitely escape they were looking after much younger children mm. in the family that they knew if they didn't get out quick 
what what was for them you know if, if they stayed at home there was a real that, sense of that that status of being married you're a woman mm. you had your own house you had somebody who was giving you a dress allowance you can see she's really well dressed this 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 remained yeah you know granny was all granny goodwin was always very well dressed so mm. and she had this stuff that she hadn't had you know as yeah. a child so she thought she was doing good of course she thought she was doing good and actually i noticed that there's that sense of in in my family um there's a sense of what are you eating do you have a roof over your head you're doing okay and until my generation and actually mm-hmm. even for some people in my generation is mm-hmm. an ignoring of the emotional situation mm-hmm. because you're eating okay and mm-hmm. you're doing all right and you've got roof over your head and it's only us lot who are like well actually oh god yes <laughs> very much my family definitely and i feel like like i'm you know spawned from oprah when i'm like but let's talk about how we feel and everyone everyone older than me and my family's like we don't, we don't, 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 don't want to do that why, why would we be doing that and actually their children they, were, they, they had four children three of them survive and their children wow. uh, kitty and richard's children are very very loath to talk about ah. i mean getting the information any information yeah. about kitty or richard out of their children is tough going i mean you'll get a little bit here a little bit there something said but they don't want to tell you the story of what it was like growing up in that house what it was like what the marriage was like what it was like for them having to leave and if they do tell you you know they're not they don't want to discuss it anymore yeah you know, no further questions kind yes. of thing so yes. yeah it was a pretty i think it was a pretty unhappy and yet to the outward world probably quite successful marriage yeah um and certainly she in her journal talks about feeling very lucky Wow. which I think is really extraordinary because there's no question in my mind that he beat her. Yes. You know, he was an extremely violent man. He certainly beat the children and, yeah. and you know, uh, assaulted them. And, yeah. Um, and they all left home very quickly as well. Wow. So, yeah, she, she's quite, you know, she, she must have made out of steel. Yeah. And she was small. That's the other thing that you okay. can't really see from this photograph. I don't know, I'm five foot. Mm-hmm. She was about five foot. She's probably a size six to eight. She was tiny. I mean, she, she looks was like, like a tall gent. I think it was, it was about yeah. five ten. You know, it's definitely yeah. considerably taller than, than mm-hmm. she was. Mm-hmm. And she must have been like this mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. steely sparrow, mm-hmm. really, to survive mm-hmm. this and get through it and build a home and have a family. Definitely. And still managed to go out in what looks like a very nice taffeta 1950s <laughs> with a string of uh, uh, pearls. Absolutely. Out to my and I'd, I'd love to be able to blow up. I don't know if you see, there's a little yeah. matchbook here. And this is yeah. probably the club. Wow. But I've, I've tried blowing it up and the resolution isn't good enough. It's really frustrating because that would tell us that little where thing. Where they were. Exactly where they oh were. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm assuming they were in London. Go but back, yeah. I can't really... I can't That's really amazing. Is that a cuff on her... What is that? Is that on her? Or... I think that's a uh, bracelet, some kind wow. of cuff bracelet. I mean, she yeah. would have had fantastic jewellery. That was his business. Okay. Um, so she will have had, you know, all the jewellery. And she did. She wore amazing yeah. jewellery pearls and diamonds yeah. and big splash statement pieces. That's yes. kind of what it was about yeah. for her. And this sort of look of, you know, it's sort of almost Sleeping Beauty look. Very much. Very dark very hair, much. very red lips. Um, yeah, you know, that's she was exactly, very, actually. Sleeping Beauty. <gasps> yeah, so here's my, what she, you know, what what her outward appearance is. Yes. Saying, you know, things are perfect. Look at me, I'm a princess. I've got the diamonds. Yeah. I yeah. made away with the diamonds. And and we actually have a family joke, um, <clears throat> which is about the Goodwin diamonds. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, the idea is that, that old Mrs. Goodwin has her diamonds and she bumps into this younger lady at, at an event and the lady says, oh, I 
love your diamonds. She goes, oh, these Goodwin diamonds, they come with a terrible curse. <laughs> and the girl goes, really? What's the curse? And she says, Mr. Goodwin. <laughs> and oh. for Kitty and Richard, yeah. that is definitely the truth. That's you know, really the, diamonds, best, yeah. the diamonds came with a curse. Wow. <laughs> Very wow. much so. And then I feel for him, I mean, I know we're supposed to be talking about grannies, but I kind of feel for him in that mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he must have been a mess. I mean, he must have lived in terror. He certainly was in pain. He had yep. been during the war... Um, in the Navy, he had gone into the Atlantic and had injured his back quite badly. He wore a back brace all his life. Yeah. Um, and so he was probably in quite a lot of pain. Yes. And um, probably on prescription drugs then for the yeah. rest of his life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can't forgive what you did to, no. to, to Kitty, but nonetheless. Empathy for Empathy, like yeah. he was not a happy man. No, and somebody, I mean, it's probably a fair comment to say as well, somebody modelled this. Mm. aggressive behaviour to him somewhere along the line, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. He picked it up as a strategy somewhere. Well, he was born in Edinburgh. He was born in Potterwell mm. in 1909, and, and that was a very, very poor area. Yeah. So he came as well from you know incredibly poor background, yeah. spent some time in Aberdeen, mm-hmm. uh, then ended up going down to London um, mm-hmm. and some time in the services as well. Yeah. And his name was not Goodwin. His okay. name was McGuigan. Ah. So mysteriously, somewhere in the middle of all this, he wow. changed his name in order to sound more respectable. And I think, I mean, I had a, actually had a long oh. chat with a retired chief inspector the yes. other week. And yeah. He's like, yeah, that's a crim. You know, changes his name. And if you're looking for him, he said, look for his birth date. That's the important Ooh. thing. So I, I have actually started to look, mm-hmm. see if I can track down some criminal records. But because criminal yeah. records are not kept centrally, even mm-hmm. in Scotland or mm-hmm. in the UK, mm-hmm. you have to go to individual police forces, right. which makes it really, really difficult yeah. to, to, to track down because he moved. That's he fascinating. Moved around. But he was, you know, he was tossed off. That's he's, fascinating. He's, he's, yeah. He's and when you think of all the modern stuff around kind of identity yeah. politics and all, you know what I mean? There's tie-in, isn't there, with uh, I'm choosing a new identity, I'm creating, you know, maybe I'm leaving something behind as well, you know. He, oh, well, he was on the run. Yeah. I mean, there's no question he was somewhere other on the run. And I think he chose Goodwin. He was a naval man. And in World War One, there was an Admiral Goodwin who was mm-hmm. kind of a big icon of world mm-hmm. war one and so i think the goodwin came from him being in the navy oh, that's yeah. a posh name it's relatively close to mcguigan yeah so he became mr goodwin rather yeah. than mr mcguigan and it's really interesting it's reminding me of somebody who rented my flat in aberdeen when i moved out of it and moved in with my husband and uh, rented it out for a really short period before we sold it and found out that the guy had rented it was completely dodgy but and he had several names and he was a criminal mm. so we got all this mail to him and one of the names he had chosen was uh, mr white mm. another one of the names he'd chosen was white whiteman or whitehead mm. and it was interesting because it made me think about um being back at doing media studies at college and they were saying you know there's this really thing about character casting the mm. baddie goes in black that is sometimes, you know, called just, just it can be just as unnuanced as Mr. Black and the goodie is Mr. White and all. And mm. I'm thinking, Goodwin, good. Goodwin, yeah, maybe. The desertion of badness to good mm. and win. You know what I mean? There's a, you know. I mean, I think he was probably on a, yeah. a journey to try and become rich and therefore respectable, yeah. maybe. So, you know, yeah. And respectability was very important to them. I remember that with yeah, my granny. She would have gone out poorly dressed, heavens. So, no. yeah. So there was a kind of real sense of, of that that I got off her. And I, yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I met him as an extremely young child. He died when I was about three or four. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't remember him mm-hmm. at all, but I do remember her. Yes. And I remember her arrival in our, our house. You know, she'd come up for 
because she still lived down south. Yeah. She would come up to Edinburgh to visit very occasionally. Mm-hmm. And she was just super glamorous granny. You know, wow. she would come through the door and it would mm-hmm. be a black sealskin coat and a red lipstick and black hair. And she would bring presents. And um, she brought me, and I still have them, uh, a, a, a box with um, sixpences in it. Oh, my goodness. So this was like my treasure trove. And if you think where she came from yes. and that she was cleaning doorsteps for yes. a penny or two, yeah. Yeah. that actually was quite some Huge. gift of love, really, yes. for, from her. Definitely. What, what, what do you remember communicating with her? at that time was it easy was it cuddly was it she wasn't a cuddly kid Mm -hmm. and a a cuddly person and I actually wasn't a cuddly kid Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't really remember anything that we did together I don't think she took us anywhere I Mm -hmm. think she came to stay at the house and just joined in family life Mm -hmm. at the house I'm pretty sure it was always over the summer I can't remember her coming for for Christmas time or anything like that yeah and so as a child our summers were spent in the back garden yeah yeah so there was a lot of breakfast or lunch in the garden you know the the adults drinking wine or beer in the garden and she would have just been one of a number of adults Mm -hmm. and our family was I mean we were a family unit a small family unit but Mm -hmm. my mother had uh, three sisters and a a female cousin Mm -hmm. all of whom lived relatively Close. close and we were you know we could be five for dinner we could be 20 for dinner and it was quite normal for me so I don't think I focused in on Kitty and of course that's a huge regret now because she died when I was sort of 10 or 11 I think oh only I'd sort of focused in on her a little bit more that would have been amazing for me to to have that memory but I didn't she was just one of a number of adults who were knocking about of course that's what you've just said there about the garden and the Mm. cuddliness or or lack of (laughs) is a really nice intersection to um, another photo that you sent me, which mm. I will share at least some of it. Yes, you better not show my online. brother. <laughs> we won't share the naked, the the naked, naked lower boys. half of your brother. It's, He's looking very fine in his BBC he looks hat. Ace. He looks ace in his, his BBC hat and nothing else. It's such a beautiful photo because it's mm. Eva, your mum's mum, um, standing behind you and then you're in front of your wee brother. <laughs> and, it, and, and I... I said to you at the time, it's lovely because the physical proximity yeah. is so relaxed, so close. She's got her hand kind of sort of, I don't know if it's on your ear, your, her fingers mm. are on your ear and your hair. It's very intimate. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, we knew her much better. Nana lived around the corner her whole life and actually at the end of her life, after this, my, my dad bought this huge house and there was a, an old gardener's cottage mm-hmm. in the in the mm-hmm. garden and Nana moved into the gardener's oh, cottage. I love it. So for the last maybe, you know, not quite 10 years of her life, she oh. actually lived next door to my parents and I, I, I wasn't always living yeah. in the family home anymore, but it meant that we knew her very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wasn't hugely cuddly, actually. That's probably as cuddly yeah. as I got. Um, but I know she really loved us. We have no idea what Kitty thought of us. Oh, no idea yes. other than that we were somehow lucky and yes. hadn't we made yes. it, you know. But Nana, I know, really cared about us, Eva. Oh. And, um, yeah, and she, she particularly cared about women. She was quite a matriarch. She had nine brothers and she just didn't trust men. Really? Yeah. And so she would say that. She would say, your brothers are going to end up in jail. And, you know, because a three-year-old has nicked something out of the toy box. <laughs> you know what I mean? She took that as a judgment on them. And and there was a very strong core group of women within the family. So Eva, her sister, Sissy, who yeah. was the same age. Yeah. So these were kind of that generation. And then my mother, 
um, and her three sisters and one cousin. Mm-hmm. We would all go swimming every week. On a mm-hmm. Wednesday, we'd go to Portobello and go swimming. Oh. There was cards. Cards was a big part of yeah. female family life in our house. And I was part of that, along with a couple of other female yeah. cousins. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were very much a kind of, there was very much a strong kind of female core wow. to the family. The woman was what the, the family was yeah. about. There's no kind of question of that. Wow. wonder where her, did you get any inkling of where her feeling about men were not to be trusted i think her brothers uh-huh. i think her brothers and yeah. it's not that they were dodgy they were in no way as dodgy as mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as grandpa goodwin but i think you know boys were not to be trusted boys yeah. were boys were bad and she had a couple of favorite brothers um one of her brothers i think my great uncle joe had a mm-hmm. motorbike and mm-hmm. used to take her out on the motorbike because she was the youngest she was the baby oh, wow. and she she talked about that with great fondness but all of them were dead by the time i was born they were all much older than her and they all died young they had terrible heart disease a couple of them died in the war all wow. of this kind of thing wow. um and so you know what was left were were the women my goodness and we've got an earlier photo of her here mm. as well um which i'll i'll share to the <laughs> podcast if that's okay she's just beautiful she's mm. got your aunt on her knee yes it's her eldest daughter she went on to have another three daughters um uh, who all look very similar to me i remember being very. at the bottom of this garden yeah and looking up at my mum and her sisters thinking which one is my mother because <gasps> from a distance you really, really? couldn't tell oh you my. can now because they've all got different attitudes to dyeing their hair yeah <laughs> so the gray hair has made it possible to distinguish but this oh. is my aunt davida um on nan's knee this is a story photo mm. as well the way eva's holding mm. her daughter um the leaning in you know a mm. lot of photos from this time you know that they're formal and posed but there's mm. again there's there's an intimacy about eva which i know like I hear totally what you're saying that she wasn't, you know, necessarily super, mm. super cuddly. But there's, there's an immediate. That's my feeling. About, mm. That's my. She's you know, actually more. And Dita looks pissed off. I don't know what's happened yeah, to her. She does. Um, but, and I love the way that Nana's decided to go and get photographed in her fur jacket. Yeah. Like you Loving. know, she's got her hat on. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Which is quite definitely. funny. But it also this what you told me and the kind of um, mm. background to this as well. The fact that Eva has her jacket on and her hat and, and looks as if she's in transit here mm. um, really speaks with the information mm. that you gave me about Eva's background. Yeah, so she was born, she was born in the UK, um, but all of her older brothers and her uh, parents had come from Russia and they had fled at the time of the pogroms at the end of the 19th century. So a Jewish family. And they manage to get out, they get to London, they don't like London, and they end up coming up to Scotland. Mm-hmm. Why Scotland, we don't know. Presumably they knew somebody who'd come okay. or something that had something that had happened. And she her childhood stories from her brothers were about Cossacks killing their relations. As she was growing up, they were getting letters from a home saying we've no food, so-and-so's been taken to prison, we don't know what so-and-so's missing. So the whole of that family pretty much oh, disappeared. The rest of that family, anyone who didn't get out, was was oh. killed, um, oh, and she was very scared by that. She was terrified. I mean, absolutely terrified that we would go back to Russia. Yeah, she didn't want that, oh. and she made us all promise as kids that we would never visit Russia, and I never have. Yeah, actually, although my mother, yeah. my mother has been to St. Petersburg and said it was fantastic. Yeah, um, but she was very Did her concerned. Mom know that and she well, mum, Nana had died. Oh. 
But one of my cousins went on the Trans-Siberian Express one and I'm still Mm -hmm. alive and I don't know how Nana felt Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. It was really terrifying for her, really terrifying. Yeah. And then... Yeah, so she carried this sort of uh, mm-hmm. burden, even though she wasn't a refugee. Yeah. She she was, you know, only a few years off yeah. having that mentality. And the idea that they could live in the UK and, you know, yes, there was a bit of anti-Semitism, uh, but it was nothing like yeah. what, what they had come from. Yeah. And they moved into a flat in Morningside and they set up a number of incredibly successful businesses. Some of the brothers got together and made a furniture business and had shops all over the country selling their furniture. Um, So, yeah, she was, I mean, she looks happy in this photograph. She's safe. Yeah. And safety in families with, you know, with a refugee background is hugely important. Um, And if you think about it, in my family, you know, her generation and her parents' generation had suffered that refugee thing my mother's generation had also suffered through the second world war thing yeah and my mother's cousin who was brought up in the same house as Mm. her sister Mm -hmm. married a man dutch guy called charles who um was one of the children who came out bergen belson so and i remember charles being in the house in this garden drinking beer with the adults in the summer and he had a limp because he had his leg had been injured and, you know, it's impossible to recover from. So it's that close. And I think, I mean, she had a huge effect on me and her stories had a huge effect on me and still do to this day where you mm. never feel safe. You're never no. 100% safe. You're always watching. Yeah. And your, you know, your attitude to family is different. Your attitude to um, material possessions is different. I know this is something I have various friends who come from refugee backgrounds, even if it's not their generation of a Chinese friend who's family came out with the Kuomintang into Hong Kong and it's the same thing in her family it's only what you can carry with you you know the house looks nice but you can't take it with you you leave the house so you have this very strong connection to artifacts like jewelry like these pearls she's wearing of course because you take it with you that's what you can take with you you just get your family out and so it's almost like you're on orders to decamp at any minute you do your best where you are and if you can't you go and the, 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 the whole kind of Jewish community, I mean, we grew up in this house where my parents had friends that came over and, and they threw events. And, and we knew a lot of people who'd come out of the camps. Oh you know, I, I was quite friendly when I was uh, young with a, a couple of boys whose parents had been in Auschwitz. Both of them had been in Auschwitz. So it's really, really close. You know, and you look at it now, you think, oh, that's in history and it's taught as part of history. But it was very much living history for that me. That was in your landscape. Oh, that yeah. That was your social... Absolutely. And I didn't experience anti-Semitism. I have to say, when I was growing up, I didn't get that at all. My brothers definitely did. And learnt judo and learnt to fight so that they could, you know, so that they could sort of deal with that. Wow. And I think that, you know, there's a sense of learning to fight, actually, that runs through the Goodwin family as well. I noticed with my father, my father was a, a boxed for the army. Yeah. We, we haven't got any pictures here of my father, but he was hot in the 60s. Like, oh. And he trained with George <laughs> Kerr in Edinburgh, you know, the original Edinburgh club. He was yeah. really fit and he, he, was, he was a machine, you know. And I think that comes from the fact, you know, your dad's beating your mum and you're never going to let that happen to you again. Yes, um, totally. So um, there's, a, there's a strong sense of, in, in from both grandparents really of of that fear that being threatened that how do you get out can yeah. you get out and how you know can you stand up for yourself how do you stand up for yourself wow so this little boy here and um, in 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 the very um sort of transgender hat 
and Nudi Ben. He, yeah, Nudi Ben. He's a he's a, he's something like a black belt at judo. Dude. About three years after this, you know, he's really young, really young. Oh they are learning to fight. Both Goodness. the boys. Another little brother that's not in this picture. Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely mm. fascinating. And you're tearful talking about mm. this when when you sent me notes when you were having your brain dump in preparation for this. I cried <laughs> hugely, and um, and it and all of that linked in to a, a conversation you and I had back in spring when we were both really tearful mm. about Brexit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like a threat. It definitely feels like a threat. And I think I, even you know the stuff that's going on, the whole kind of rise of is, Islamophobia that rise of the right is really terrifying for me and it's quite interesting because I had to sit down and explain it to my husband who's from the west coast of Scotland and all his family have been from the west coast of Scotland since Mm -hmm. pretty much the beginning of time Mm -hmm. so he was like well what are you worried about your rights and I was like yeah Yeah. but all these people who were sitting in our garden when we were growing up had rights at some point in Budapest in Amsterdam in wherever they were from yeah and and that didn't save them so these things you know, it, 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 it's it's so close to you and then you see something that could be it happening and you're mm-hmm. almost on notice. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm on notice and I'm watching for it. And I know I'm not the only one. I had a really interesting conversation with a friend whose family has exactly the same story, came from somewhere in Russia at, mm-hmm. at the end of the, the 19th century. And we're like, our families have been here for a century. Yeah. And we're on notice. Yeah. We're, we're still scared. And um, so, yeah, Brexit, I get that. Brexit feels awful. I get that. I mean, Brexit feels especially awful. There's so much about it that's awful, but that sort of rise of the right. To and me, you know your history. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's it makes no, it worse. There's no kidding. There's, you know what I mean? There's no talking around it. And mm. as you know, my husband is uh, an immigrant. He's Danish. So he's, for a lot of people, for a lot of people who have sympathies with the right at the moment, uh, you know, to lesser or greater degrees, he's a good immigrant. Mm. He's got white skin. Yeah, he's Scandinavian. Uh, he doesn't represent anything that they are have been conditioned to be frightened mm. of, and yet Brexit lands in our house as well, mm. and uh, it feels like, uh, yeah, the you you don't know, mm. you don't know anymore. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. know if it, if it's gonna, if, you know, if he won't change his passport. Yeah, that certainty is gone. That security certainty feels is very gone. much like it's, it's gone. The first time I've woken up in mm. Scotland and thought, I, I don't know that I'll always have a choice mm. to live here because I'll always choose him. Mm. You know, I mean, if it's <laughs> him or Scotland, it's him. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, it's preferably him and Scotland. Yeah, you know, for and, and for him too. But um, I think as well that ties in so much with their stories. I mean, I look at if you look at which Jews got out. Yeah. Um, 30% of German Jews, just over 30% of German Jews managed to get out. Oh, God. Like, nobody much got out of Holland once because it happened quickly. And so I'm very aware that I'm on notice and I need to make my plans because <sighs> the ones that got oh. out are the ones that thought about it and recognised it was there. Yeah. So yes. you're lucky you've got the notice because what happened in yes. France or uh, yeah. Poland or they had no notice that happened overnight and there they were in a camp and there was no getting out. Yeah. So you kind of want to do it in time. Yeah. And I've stood at, in, you know, Denmark being occupied um, in World War Two, and um, my in-laws live in Gilalai, which is a little port that looks across to Sweden. And it's where a lot of, of, of Jewish people were. Mm 
and you know, got into down. the bot got into the bottom of boats and in the middle of the night mm. were quietly taken across the water to safety in Sweden mm. at, at you know great risk to themselves mm. and great risk to everybody else on the boat and I have stood there and looked you know at that journey and felt that journey in my mm. bone marrow felt how uh, of course you, you you know you think you're empathizing but the fear oh yeah the fear. Yeah. The fuse there, and it, 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 I can't imagine what it must have been like for her. I can't. You know, she she was born here, but she was she she grew up in a house where they spoke Russian and they spoke Yiddish and they spoke German. English was not her first language, really. Oh my god! Oh my god! She's incredible, <laughs> isn't she? I mean, they both are. You know, mm. both Eva and Kitty. So she didn't get on with her husband either. Really? Actually, yeah. So Eva um, married a Jewish guy. Um, called uh, was he Reuben? I think he was Reuben, and um, he was a tailor. And you can see name. here, he he will have made this coat for Auntie Dida. There's no oh. question he will have made that. And they had these four girls, but they didn't get on. And he left, and he moved into a flat with um, what I've been told is an Irish floozy. The, the family myth is that this was an Irish bluesie who moved her into this flat and abandoned this Nana. This is in Edinburgh. This is in Edinburgh. And Nana had the girls, and she and her sister bought a house, helped by their brothers, who had quite a lot of money. Wow. And they worked for their brothers. So these are working women, which is mm-hmm. not entirely mm-hmm. normal at this era, um, although becoming more, more normal. And they split the house. So... Sissy and her daughter lived upstairs, or downstairs, I think, and Nana and her four daughters lived upstairs, but they shared a kitchen. Wow. And that's how they worked it. And so they provided childcare for each other. They, um, and and that house was full of women. Yes. Full of women. It was only women in the house. And um, I I expect that the um, uh, antipathy she felt towards men, which was yes. started by her brother, was probably backed up by massively reinforced. Yeah, massively reinforced by her by by her relationship with her husband. And when he died, I mean, they saw their dad. He didn't abandon the children. They saw him every Saturday. They would go down. He made their winter coats every year. He would make wow. them clothes. Um, and there are pictures of my, my my mother and my aunts growing up in these very well made, beautiful tweed yeah. jackets and yeah. skirts and everything that their father had made them. So they knew him, but they visited him once a week, and they lived with Eva. Oh Sissy. my God! So um, quite traumatic. Yeah. Another another kind of trauma of being abandoned. And when he died, um, the Irish fusion, my brother and my dad and his um, one of my uncles, mm-hmm. um had to go and get her out the flat and we had to sell this flat because Nana wow. had no money. Yes. Now, this is horrific, of course, now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. this woman was the partner. It's horrific for both of them. <clears throat> Awful. Because by gender, both women are disenfranchised yeah. in that situation. Exactly. And and uh, Nana was legally backed up and, and, and okay. the unmarried woman wasn't at this time. And I have no idea who that was. Like, I have no idea who she was or what happened to her. Or But all this, all this talk of trauma. Yeah. It reminded me of an amazing episode when I was reading your your notes. Um, it reminded me of an incredible episode on Women's Hour. I think it was about a year ago, and it was Magda Subansky, who's um, hilarious Australian actress. Um, she was in Kath and Kim. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you saw. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, and she was talking about I think her dad's Polish, and she was talking about uh, intergenerational trauma. 
and that she had started to look into her dad had been an assassin. Oh, yeah. oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow, can you imagine facing yeah. that one? Yeah, and kind of, I, I think the story was that they didn't fully know what he had done until after he was dead or at the end of his life, and uh, that he hadn't talked about the, the trauma mm. of not just being an assassin, but I think actually more so of what led him to become one. So it was kind of activism mm. against, you know, the, the regime that was bearing down on him. And that was channeled into, mm. here's something useful I can do. <laughs> I can kill the baddies. And he was incredibly good at it. And um, But the trauma that she talks about being passed on is kind of what led to that. The, the You know, the trauma of his oppression before his um, being an assassin. And she started researching on a kind of biochemical level, was that passed on in, in DNA and found out that actually there were universities around the world who were researching that very thing and coming up with results saying, yes, it is passed on. There, there's It does something to you know, various systems in your body that changes your hormonal reactions in your, your systems and, and the DNA is affected and mm. it in fact isn't cleared in the way that they thought it was cleared before. Uh, so there's this intergenerational passing on and absolutely incredible and that blew my mind. And I was thinking about it with your grandmothers mm. and it was like a sum that I couldn't make add up because I was thinking Kitty plus Eva equals Sarah what I couldn't make add up was Sarah is um sensitive and and, and feels (laughs) this trauma but it's all you know and and Kitty and and Eva are so strong as well and that was the thing that was the story that wasn't speaking to me about this research um with the intergenerational trauma because what they didn't cover or what nobody has Mm. spoken about in that was that not only is the trauma passed on but so is the strength yeah, it well, must be. That's totally true. And actually, when I talk about it, I realise what it sounds like. Everyone was wandering around our house, going, "Oh, it's so awful! All the dead people!" And all this. It no. wasn't. You know, you you. I can see. It you knew it. Yeah. You knew it wasn't. But it was day to day. It was life. It was yeah. get on with it and yes. have a good time because today's today. Yes. And um, roll your sleeves up exactly. if you have something to do and get on with it, whatever it is. Exactly. And very much, I think that was you know certainly in 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 my mother's family that's yeah. very much the 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 attitude yeah. you don't you know you don't dwell on it too much i'm probably dwelling on it for the first time in my life as much as i am because of yeah. brexit yes you know so i'm kind of trying, it's coming home it's coming home a wee bit but um yeah it was very much that kind of be joyful and be grateful for what you have yeah. and and that was in the wider community as well you know all these old ladies who yeah. had managed to get out one way or the other for whatever reason yeah and um, you know were dancing in the garden do you think women are allowed that sort of dichotomy of experience because so many of us have been through trauma mm-hmm. directly mm-hmm. and uh, or know about it from the other women in our lives mm. And I, I do find there's a bit of a, a train of thought that either wants me to be a victim or not a victim. Mm. And you can't be grateful yeah. in between. Do you, I mean, yeah. I feel very grateful for the life that I have. I mean, yeah. it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm so lucky they left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm so lucky they did the difficult stuff. Yeah. And so I get to, God, yeah. I get a lot of privilege. Yeah. I get a lot of freedom from the fact that they did that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Are, are you supposed to be um, in a box? Yes, probably. I mean, I think that's very much the case. It's very much the case in fiction as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I notice if you're writing about a woman who has had some kind of trauma, she's not supposed to have a good time thereafter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And there's that, that voyeur thing, which I constantly try to avoid, but is definitely there in many crime yeah. books. Because mm-hmm. uh, Mirabelle as well as being history is also a, a crime series where the body of the woman is almost a feast you know yeah. the dead body of the woman if you get that you know there's that kind of forensic interest in exactly how much she suffered kind of yes. thing there's a kind of there's a there's a nasty appetite for that actually yeah. in some places so i try and deliberately involve uh, you know go away from that and mm-hmm. i probably have slightly more male victims than female victims in in the mm-hmm. books for that reason mm-hmm. i definitely mm-hmm. don't want to don't mm-hmm. want to be kind of covering that yeah um so yeah i think um I mean, I suppose people like it simple and they like you in a box. Yeah. There's a tendency yeah. to to for society to sort of ask us to be quite binary, isn't there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Quite I think uh, so. and not but the thing I, I think about womanhood all the time when I'm writing or when I'm, I'm in my relationships with women as well is uh, what comes across to me just hits me in the face repeatedly is nuance of everything. Mm. And yet we're in the images of ourselves that, that are reflected back at us through media, whatever. There, there's no nuance. Yeah, absolutely. And that's infuriating. And actually, in a way, that's something social media is tackling in a way it hasn't been tackled before. The minute there's a headline about, you know, some major politician's shoes or, yes. you know, somebody saying something in a particular way or whatever, everyone is on it. And I think actually that's really helpful. Oh, definitely. Um, and, and that hasn't been possible until really the last 10 years the audience mm. has a collaborative voice now yes and so you might have been the sort of person who wrote a letter to a newspaper occasionally yeah. but that wasn't going to be the same as you know ten thousand shares on twitter and everyone commenting yeah. what the hell is this and people you i think you somewhere you describe yourself as a, as a twitter evangelist or a yeah twitter. and and i feel exactly the same i feel it's such a positive thing yeah i do i mean i think you can wade in and have a horrible time of course um but actually i think it's it's a great way for people to have a voice if they choose to use it productively definitely yeah, and it's question. taught me so much as well because um i've learned so much from other women's conversations where i just get a chance to log in mm. I don't have to say anything. So uh, when I a couple of years ago, when I was getting my head around whether I was privileged or not, newsflash, massively, <laughs> massively. But do you know what I mean? I think a lot of folk come to it like defensive. No, I wasn't privileged. My mum and dad were really, really poor. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, not recognising that you are now. And but it was privilege in itself to be able to listen to those conversations and dissect them. Mm. You know, in, in a really low risk way, you know, where you would just sit and listen to other women, you know, or, or, or reading them, listening through reading. And um, that's incredible. That's another thing Twitter's enabled. Mm. We can't be shut up. Yeah. You can say it if you want to say it, nobody has to listen. Yeah. But you can say it if you want to say it. Yeah. And with, I'm thinking about um, Reek website now yeah. as well. It's, it's like um, coming home. Oh. Because I, I don't, I'm really, um, another way I'm privileged is being brought up by a mum who told me from, as soon as I could hear, bodies are beautiful, bodies mm. are beautiful. I have, I know that I'm really rare in that I don't have hang-ups about my own body or other women's bodies that I, 
I think are seen as universal by a lot of women like we we all hate ourselves somehow or you know those kind of thoughts and I don't feel that and when I you are so lucky because I I have a whole load of baggage loads about that it's a whole other podcast but um yeah, yeah so yeah. Really, really I think and I know that. that that may come from my mum maybe hated her own body mm. but she was so determined to broadcast something mm. different to me and she did and it worked mm. <laughs> so she would sit there with her bunioned toes out you know and say look at my beautiful feet they carried me around today I love to walk mm. oh amazing you know so I what I got was the message that my body is an amazing machine mm. you know whether or not it conformed with the right shape of toe bone mm. was not in the game this is what infuriates me I mean when I look at images and um, that are put out by beauty companies and by magazines and in the media of women I find that really difficult as a, a mother of um, well, she's now 25 but um, when Molly was a bit younger I would look at what she was looking at and think oh my god how is she supposed to survive this because we didn't have that in the same way there was no there was nothing online so it was in a magazine yeah but you might not see that magazine yeah or um and actually when you look back on the images it's quite interesting because I, I I did some archive research into kind of old images from um you know at what point does real photoshopping begin I mean they mm-hmm. start to photoshop relatively early on just alter images very slightly but at what point do they start taking out you know a tiny yeah. centimeter at the bottom of your your forearm because you think they think your forearms are too fat or whatever oh. uh, and it is for my you know really for my daughter's generation that really starts in the yeah. in the 90s mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the things not the only thing but was one of the things behind that big campaign that we did for the perfume was that we wanted to use models who were 19 to 80 who were size 6 to size you know 22 and not retouch, and we don't retouch any of the women. Occasionally, we retouch the bottles. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, oh, I did a line down the side of the perfume. That looks weird. Let's take that off. But the women are there, and they're there with their spots and oh. their hair and whatever they want to be with. So we have a full team in who can do hair and makeup with them when we do those shoots. Yeah. They can present themselves any way they want to present themselves. But we don't change that. You know, we don't change that. We don't alter that image. And that actually proved to be much more controversial because I thought everyone would be happy with that. But actually, when we trialled it and we first launched it, we had pretty much hate mail in the office, particularly on Facebook, what? of women coming back saying, you know, I, I hate this. I feel so ugly. I feel ugly looking at, at this woman who's got some hair on her arms. Holy uh, fuck. And that was, we were sitting here around, actually around this kitchen table, <laughs> me and the art director and the designer. And we'd just done it. We're like, oh, I wonder how people are going to take this oh no way and this stuff coming back and what we started to do was taking their quotes putting it on the image and 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 posting it yeah and the tide of support that came back from that was also really great so we had people coming back saying well I disagree with this and I want a bottle of perfume please yes and so that was kind of quite interesting that it 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 it, people sort of piled in to defend that yeah and that's from for physical that is the physical battleground that women are in at the moment and as a woman who is obviously aging we're all aging but as a woman who's beginning to age in a way that I now have gray hair that I don't yeah. die that you know my body isn't what it was mm-hmm. it isn't the size that it was it's yeah. changing shape and I'm kind of perimenopausal that's a really interesting battleground for me mm-hmm. to weigh mm-hmm. into and mm-hmm. say well actually you know I've got stretch marks I've had a kid look at my tiger skin yeah and um and and sort of stand up for that so that that is definitely one of the driving forces in really want to stand up for women uh, and women's bodies 
yeah. um, the way that they really are, kind of some kind of accurate and, and, and factual representation. Men don't have to do this. I mean, they do no. Photoshop men. There's yeah. no question they Photoshop male models yeah. and things as well, but it's a whole different oh, headspace. Yeah. Um, and we need a bit of that, you know, a bit of that, a bit more of that, a bit more of quality. It's a form of equality. Definitely, so. definitely. And just um, a kind of restfulness about bodies. You know what I mean? So I'm always wanting mm. to go home. Uh, to, to, to my mom's attitude yeah, to bodies, yeah. you know, which is I can walk in the room and even notice. Is it a struggle? Is that a struggle for you to not be around that? Yeah, massively. Mm. I'm gonna cry now. <laughs> massively, because I get feedback all the time that is alien to me about mm. my body and my appearance that I uh, I, th- I was immune to it when my mom was alive. Mm. So even if she wasn't in the room, I didn't even notice people saying those things. I, it's only become louder. She's been dead 10 years now. It's only become louder because her voice isn't there uh, offsetting it. Mm. I didn't real. I took it for granted. I thought that was normal. You were lucky. I was really lucky. Really lucky. Incredibly. Yeah. I think we've had such great feedback as well from the models. I mean, we use some professional models. A lot of these women mm. that we use are activists or they're interested in women's rights for one reason or another. And um, um, we've allowed them a voice because we didn't want to objectify any, any mm-hmm. of them. So we've started a blog so that they can talk about the experience. But we've also had amazing feedback from the models and artists from saying, you know, I walked out of that shoot. And even models, even models who've been um, chosen to front major campaigns mm. for huge brands mm-hmm. walk out saying it feels amazing not to be photoshopped. <sighs> Yeah. It feels amazing, and these are you know, you just take to one look me. at them and think, what you know, what was your worry? You know, to what be me. to be to be themselves or to be to be accepted or to feel beautiful? You know, to, not even to feel ex- that, that, that people accept something that is a fault, yeah. but it's not even a fault. Yeah, it's not even a fault. It's just them. Just to be linked back mm. up with your body. Yeah, it's a huge. I mean, it's. A, I think it's kind of the issue. When I think if there's something I would like to shift, if there's an attitude I'd like to shift, my yeah. daughter and my nieces, my, my goddaughters, mm-hmm. that's probably one of the main ones because yeah. it affects you as you walk out of the house. Yeah. It affects you as, you know, as you get out of bed in the morning. It's there all the time. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I feel really strongly about it. And actually, one of the things that I think is really interesting, I'm speaking to older models, so we've got... Um, of our of our older models who are perhaps over sixty a mm. week, and um, one of them, um, Alex, is a is a, a was a model all mm. along. Mm. So she's got that amazing model body and all the rest of it. And she said aging was doing that for her. She never felt mm. that she didn't look right, and mm. then suddenly she had, she had grey hair, mm-hmm. and she she became aware that people judged her on that in a way that she hadn't because yeah. she'd always been so beautiful that hadn't really yes. kind of and you can it. see that shift mm. um especially if you're a sensitive person you you can read so much from a look mm. you know that someone's registering you differently yeah and judging you on you know something on the plus side my friend was in a, a, a um a shop the other day and a girl came up to her with a Things you've got to try this because by the time you're 40, it'll make your skin look amazing. And my friend is nearly 50, (laughs) and she's like, Yeah, yeah, I scored against the beauty industry. (laughs) That's it, but also, I think as well, like for me, um, I'm I'm proud of my age Mm. as well, and I don't feel that I don't feel that win if Mm. someone thinks, Yeah, I'm younger. Well, I feel like I didn't get this clever, yeah, yeah, you know, without putting the time in, yeah, and also, I think because I I've known, like, just bring it down to looks. Beautiful woman at every age, mm. you know, 
even in their right up to in their 90s you know it's not stretch it's just different it's just different beauty isn't it it's just you know it's like a plant it's having it's a different life. every year mm. it's you know some but it's beautiful every year mm. there's you know well, it's back to that binary thing isn't mm-hmm. it you've got to have a certain height a certain shape yeah. a certain color of skin yeah. a certain and things are within a quite a tight yeah range mm-hmm. it's it's crazy yeah um fab <laughs> what a brilliant conversation another hashtag take three. Oh yeah have you got three women right now that are influencing you i mean i know you do how are you gonna narrow it down um i suppose at least one of them one of those thoughts has to go to the late georgian early victorian women who went and explored and did kind of were, were travelers yeah so Isabella Bird or Mariah Graham and actually one of my favorites is Florence Baker who okay. was a um, Hungarian slave she was in the Hungarian slave market and Sir Samuel Baker um well there are two or three different accounts he either stole her or bought her and they ended up getting married and going up the Nile together and um, you know these incredibly adventurous women who busted out of what yeah. was quite a straitjacket that was expected of them. Mm-hmm. So I think one of those slots definitely has mm-hmm. to go to. I suppose because I've written a whole book about Mariah Graham, it's probably her. Although I'm about to think write a short story for somebody about Isabella Bird, who mm-hmm. Scottish woman who travelled again all over the world. Um, uh, and 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 she was amazing, Isabella Bird. Actually, she had it. She when she was on a horse, she had a a kind of special leather holster made and on the left hand side there was a gun because you know she might get into a spot of bother and the right hand side was her tea making equipment because she would never want to be somewhere of course British lady and not be brewing up yeah and she threatened to sue the times because they said she wore pantaloons which was way in a way she was definitely in a skirt and a bodice all the way around <laughs> the world and the times backed down you know they were like oh sorry about that Isabella so yeah I think one of those would probably have to get that slot one of those two and then I suppose if I'm looking at um women who inspire me for my real life yeah um I mean they're there are huge amounts. I, I'm so impressed with Scottish political life, what's mm. happening in Scottish political life. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of women there, from Nicola Sturgeon to mm-hmm. um, actually Miriam Brett, who mm-hmm. has been mm-hmm. um, being a researcher for the yeah. SNP at Westminster, recently stood up in Orkney and Shetland, and I, I feel really sorry that she didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, these women who are changing the political landscape. She's for, a great voice. For other women. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. would definitely be people that I respect yeah and admire and, and yeah. look at what they're doing in a really kind of practical way mm-hmm. my own mp Jodie brock she's mm-hmm. you know she's pretty amazing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well so yeah that um for yeah. my real life i think right at the moment but um for my personal life there are a whole lot of other women as well mm-hmm. and then i suppose from history again if i'm going back into the other period that i really like and really write about a lot that sort of slightly post world war Two era mm-hmm. um <clears throat> resistance fighters mm-hmm. in florence sabo i was in um i was in the um uh, secret service club in Knightsbridge there's a secret service club in Knightsbridge which is an old Georgian building which was um, leased by the Queen Mother for the secret services and you can join if you're uh, in first year nursing yeomanry if you're a woman or if you are an MI5 or MI6 or any of the kind of special services special forces Wow! and um, I think I'd like to move but mm-hmm. I, I ended up 
going there for a party um, with a friend who's in the Secret Service and uh, on special service. And um, as you go up the stairs, they have pictures of every person that's died. Oh. And so it starts, I think this club was founded in like 1942 or something, mm. and it starts with some of these resistance fighters oh who were sent back. God. And you go up the stairs, and there are a surprising number of mm. women, mm-hmm. particularly in that sort of World War II period. So I suppose someone like Florence Sabo, mm-hmm. who was so incredibly brave. I mean, it's... It, it's not that there's one of them. It's no, difficult to pick. I know, one. but sometimes, and you just hope you'd be that brave because yeah. that you know the reality of that is it's really really mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I'd, I'd pick one of those women. Yeah. How much do you, in your thoughts, and, and it's just it's so obvious how much time you spend thinking and yesterday. <laughs> and I was I was looking on on and off your your website over the last few days when I was kind of getting ready for this and it's, mm. you describe yourself as an outsider yeah is that to do with the history side of things I don't know what it's to do with I mean I'm not very good at big events I do go to big events but I feel massively uncomfortable at them mm. and I don't feel part of many communities I think uh-huh. one of the things that my childhood gave me in a, in a sense that kind of spread of family is I have a really broad sense of identity yes you know I'm Scottish I'm British I'm Jewish. Yeah. I'm dad's family Catholic. Yeah. And was Catholic, and and that's how the family, my cousins, all got, yeah, you know, some got married Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that there as well. There's a sense of um, we did a, we did a DNA test, which I thought would make life more simple, and mm-hmm. um, but actually we discovered that my mother's family are Jewish and they've been brought up culturally Jewish, but their deep DNA is Asian. Wow. So it's actually wow. North Japan, North Island of Japan, all around that sort of Siberia, uh, uh, you know, just just opposite the Japan, you come into that part of Russia, oh my gosh. Um, and and China as well. So, wow. Um, yeah, so I have this hugely confused, mm-hmm. not confused, but hugely diverse. Mm-hmm. And so I think when I'm presented with a large group, I never feel part of it. I don't feel part of the history writers, the crime writers, mm-hmm. the writers in general. Um, I probably feel part of the women. Mm-hmm. That's the thing mm-hmm. that I feel most part yes. of. If there's something I feel part of, it's probably that. But I certainly don't feel Jewish, you know, because yeah. I'm not I'm not yeah. religiously Jewish. And although I understand that sort of cultural Jewish thing, yes. I don't feel part of it. Yeah. I don't really feel part of it. So, I, yeah, I think you are an outsider. And I think that's something a lot of writers have in common. Yes. You know, one way or another, you... You you write because you're looking in. Yeah, definitely. But I, I that outsider thing. Yeah, I relate to that. Yeah, it's huge, and um, it's it's also slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, it's also slightly yeah. uncomfortable. And so you, you live in the state of watching mm-hmm. other people in a group that you're not part yeah. of. And I'm grand one to one. I form yeah. actually really quite yes. close friendships Same. with people. Yeah, but um. And I think as well within the family, I was brought up, like my parents massively approved of my brothers. My brothers were much easier than I was because they were sporty. Yeah. So these wee boys, you'd fling out of this back door in this picture, they would fling a ball uh, in May and, or March. And the boys would come back in Monday in September. That's what they were interested in. And they were really easy. And my mother said, boys are so easy. Yes. Um, whereas I God. was difficult. You've just said that. That's something my mum said. Really? Oh, that's really Now that's a bit of a shocker from her. Yeah, Mega feminist. I'm pointing up to her on the cloud right now. <laughs> what are you doing? What the? Yeah. Yeah, so I was difficult because I read. Nobody in my family read. Yeah, I was um, going to uh, ask you about Nana, this. Nana, yeah, she's carrying a book. She was carrying a book. 
and she had big big print books. I remember her big prints were inside this house. There are virtually mm-hmm. no books. Mm-hmm. My dad doesn't read. He doesn't have time. My mother's dyslexic. She doesn't read. Mm-hmm. So I was a total weirdo, like in story. That for, for, for in that environment, that was a weird thing. I had emotions. I wanted to talk about my emotions. What are you doing? You know, I was like a little changeling. Yes. And um, so I think I was I was an outsider within that family very That's much really, in many respects. Really interesting. And because everything when you stick that together with all mm. the history that was inevitable yeah i suppose i suppose it kind of was when you said changeling yeah changeling it's interesting that's, word, isn't it? yeah that when you look at the wide mm. context of your life and who you come mm. from it was inevitable that transition mm. through place and time and struggle and trauma and and good times mm. that from that and i think it's all my parents generation you know these terrible things had happened and they had got away. They bought a big house, they made yeah. lots of money. They really didn't want to look at it too much. And I was interested because that's that's my mind. That's how I've ended up being a writer. What you look at is the bits that are uncomfortable. You poke, yeah. you poke the wound. Yes. And that was really uncomfortable for my parents. It continues actually really quite uncomfortable for my parents, although I now have, mm-hmm. you know, slowly extracted various pieces of information. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I very much feel like an outsider, and I, I think I looked like an outsider. Right. You know, quite often you get, where are you from? Yes. That is a long fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my case, if they're looking at my face and yeah. saying, "Why have you got that hair? Why have you got yeah. that?" You know, where yeah. are you from? Why do you look as if yeah. you're not probably Scottish? Right. Okay, I've got like, have you got an hour? So um, yeah, so you do feel that kind of outsider. Mm-hmm. And having said that, I've never really been bullied. I remember meeting a. a um, an Indian girl who I was at school with who's who as adults and we've been reasonably friendly at school but not particularly close and she said you know did you get bullied because she obviously had been and she assumed that I had been as well but that yes. that hadn't happened in that kind of way I was an outsider because I was a SWAT yeah. I was really clever I was ducks at the school and I kept winning prizes and and, and, and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so I wasn't part of the the kind of run of general yeah it's an all girls school so a run of the general girls but, um, yeah, so I was an outsider really at school for that mm-hmm. reason, but mm-hmm. not because of being Jewish particularly mm-hmm. um, or coming from that, that background. Being an outsider is a gift as well. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that, that's something I've realised. Um, because you can't see everything. And I, mm-hmm. if I had to, to be an insider, I'd have mm-hmm. to, would I have to give up? everything yes. I can see I think that's what you do you have to give up that those questions if you're going to be an yeah. insider and I actually out for a coffee with a friend a few weeks ago and she said god you know you are quite challenging Sarah and she's an insider she, she's desperate to be an insider because of various things that have happened to her she's and she's and, and so I, I know my parents find me very challenging and I, I, I a lot of sort of mainstream people that I come to contact with definitely find me challenging same and, that's, and I think they think I'm being awkward yeah or why why would you rock the boat yeah. by asking that question? Yeah. You know, why would you rock the boat by wearing that? Yeah. Or, you know, doing that particular, whatever yeah. that particular thing Yeah, is. I had this very recently. So yeah. I think I, you, you've got to celebrate it. And in, in a way, you know, we, we, our first person at Reek's called Damn Rebel Bitches. That's really challenging. Yeah. And I've come to the point where I'm like, feck it, I'm just yeah. going to do it. Yeah. Because I can't be an insider. No. So I might as well probably be an outsider and kind of come to terms with it. And that's a long journey. For yes. me, actually, yeah, yes. it is, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. Do you feel, yeah, um, 
still on it, I guess. <laughs> you know, but but it's nice, and I think that's why um, when you meet someone, but you know, when I read Outsider, I thought, oh, again, mm. relief. Yeah, it's an, it's naming it, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. The relief is in naming it. Yeah, and in a way, I I look. We were talking about this last night. Actually, I was doing an event at the Women's Library. I write novels that look like they are insiders. Mm-hmm. You know, they quite often look like a traditional historical book or traditional crime. Oh, how cosy. Come with me. I'll hold your hand. Don't look at the body too hard here. Have a cup of mm-hmm. tea. Mm-hmm. But actually, always, there's this sort of undercurrent of horrific stuff that's happening yeah. that's really dark. Yeah. And um, people misjudge traditional crime writers for that. Yeah. So Agatha Christie, man, Agatha Christie is dark. Mm-hmm. And people talk about, oh, but it's also cosy and everyone has afternoon tea in the mm-hmm. vicarage. Mm-hmm. But particularly to the audience she was writing for, so in the 30s, 40s, 50s, mm-hmm. Christie was edgy. Yeah. You know, Christie had characters who were divorcees. <gasps> she yeah. had characters who were illegitimate. She had characters, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that were just not talked about at that time. Mm-hmm. So although she seems quite sort of, you know, I suppose, yeah, she seems quite cosy to us. Safe. Actually, she wasn't. Yeah. And in writing Cozy Crime Now, I love the idea that the books are like submarines. Mm-hmm. You know, come with me. It looks great. There's no problem. Oh, my God, it's a war zone. Yes. And I'm having to look at something I don't want to look at. Exactly. So um, by osmosis, yes. you've got in. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And I think that's sort of socially how I operate as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be at an event. I'll meet you and seem like a very nice lady. Mm. And then... That's how I met you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But actually, <laughs> I will ask you that question, or I will I will push that button because I'm I'm just bad that way. So yeah, I suppose it, I suppose you've got to come to accept that you're an outsider and yeah. and hope that people are brave enough yeah. to accept you to as go an that outsider. journey with you because there is that as an outsider where if someone's going to be your 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 friend or whatever they mm. they have to. Um, but there, there was a the woman I can't remember her name who wrote Sex and the City, who wrote mm. you know the Carrie Bradshaw character, and um, I love this quote she made about her, and I'm going to paraphrase wildly, but it was along the lines of, she gives people the freedom to be who they are and expects the same back, mm. and I really resonated because I thought I want the fr- because I'm not because I am intentionally not doing anything to hurt anyone. Mm. I want the freedom and the trust to be who I am. Mm. And I give that particularly mm. to other women. And that's what's under threat, yes. actually. If you look at the narrative that's, you know, political narrative, yeah. um, that is becoming more and more dominant, that is what is under threat. Your right to be different, yeah. um, your right to yeah. make to up choose. your mind, your right, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. I find it you know, scary. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, brief diversion into the the yeah politics today definitely it's uh you know the right to choose all the all these um these issues which are kind of you know core values of, of feminism for a lot of us is uh is absolutely a place where my thoughts keep coming back to you know my my, my right to be in whatever way is my right to be and mm-hmm. it is it does feel under threat and uh that's why we're fighting hard you know with i think that's in a way that's what the independence referendum in scotland mm. gave me afterwards that i have to do stuff mm. you can't just talk about stuff you yes have to do stuff and that's where we came from yeah and actually the, the books i've been writing more recently which won't be out until next year or whatever yeah um but 
uh, yeah, that's the we place have to do. you have to do stuff, you yeah. have to say stuff, and you're only one voice, yeah. you know, but you have to, you have a responsibility to try, yeah. to just nudge it Absolutely. a little bit. Absolutely. I'm terrified about podcasting, I'll tell you that. Really? The end. You seem to be quite good at it. I don't know. <laughs> when I was packing the bag to come here this morning, I thought, and I, I tweeted, this is what feminism looks like, because mm. I was affirming to myself. You have to pack the bag, you have to move the feet, you have to open the mouth, you have to get heard and be seen and go because change is not going to happen if we all just sit privately. Yeah. So here I am out of my comfort zone, and but also very much in it with you because you are, um, I'll finish up with this, which is, takes me right back to the beginning of where I met you, Bella Caledonia mm-hmm. night. And I was feeling very much like an outsider. <laughs> and across the room came this beautific smile. Aww. And it was you. And um, and you made me feel like I had a right to be there. Oh, thank you. And you talked to me as if I was your equal. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I said I was uh, trying to be a writer. And uh, you very much are one. And, uh, it, you know, it's it's... These are lifelines, especially, you know, for me personally, it's a very personal thing, but, you know, to have lost such a rock of a mum, when I meet other women who come to me with their whole self and are not scared of themselves, it's Mm. it's a line back, you know, it's it's an anchor. music on the Grandidote today was composed and played by Torben Malone. You'll find links to information about intergenerational trauma, Sarah's website and Reek Perfume on Kitty and Eva's profile under the g-files at thegrandidote.com. If you have a story about a woman you'd like to share, please email us at thegrandidote at gmail.com.